You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, we come to you in the evening of Friday with the final group stage match about to get underway between Novak Djokovic and Cameron Norrie, a late alternate replacement um, for the injured player uh, in that particular group, which was Stefano Tsitsipas. And uh, frankly, nothing can happen of note in it, Matt, because Djokovic has already qualified. Cameron Norrie has uh, already, well, lost, so he's out. Um, so basically, it's a dead rubber for the second night in a row, although last night's dead rubber was pretty good. So we'll get on to that um, in a little while. Um, and yeah, basically, the the, uh, the locals in Turin are putting, I guess you might say, the, the popular player in Yannick Sinner and the big name in Novak Djokovic uh, in prime time, regardless of whether the matches mean anything. Uh, I think that pretty much sums it up. Um, so Catherine's chatting away at the moment ahead of uh, the Djokovic-Norrie match and uh, and here we are on the Tennis Podcast to bring you up to date with it all. But before we do that, we'll bring you up to date with the latest involving Peng Shui. As, uh, as you know from, I guess, a lot of the media coverage you will have been following and certainly from our podcast over the last week, um, she still hasn't been heard from or spoken to or seen. Um, it's certainly not from a verifiable source. Uh, we we have seen some screenshots from of her within a within a tweet, but once again from somebody from the China state media. Um, so frankly, I don't think many people are taking that too seriously. But what they are taking seriously, Matt, is the ongoing story in itself and how distressing and worrying it is. And more and more players seem to be speaking out. And Steve Simon, the WTA's CEO, is taking every chance he can to to make his and the WTA's position about her and about their business in China very, very clear. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's been quite tough, I think, to actually enjoy the tennis that's going on at the moment with this cloud hanging over the sport. Although I say that, and it's, much, it's a much bigger issue than a tennis issue. It's a... It's an international incident now, quite frankly, with you know the UN, Amnesty International, all, all demanding evidence of her whereabouts and safety. Um, yeah, I mean, 
I would say again how how impressed I've been we are with Steve Simon's leadership on this issue his his courage to take on China and his integrity to do the right thing I think um you know he sort of doubled down on all that on his latest appearance public appearance which was on CNN last night where he said we're at a crossroads for our business with China too many times in our world we let business politics and money dictate what's right and wrong and you know i just think it's it's an incredible message that he's sending with this approach and this sort of hard line approach you know who knows it may end up changing the way sporting governing bodies end up dealing with china i don't know um obviously the other sort of side to all this as you said is many many more players speaking out about it the vast majority of wta players lots of atp players as well been impressed by how quickly they've all mobilized and got behind it as well um you just wonder sort of how much good it will do um it's obviously a very frightening and and scary situation but you've got to try everything you can to put as much pressure on i think and and the tennis community is is really doing that Mm. that's certainly my instinct as well uh i i did note today that the ioc have taken a very different approach and they actually said they they said quiet diplomacy is the way forward and and the best way to to achieve results which personally i i don't buy i i think that uh, steve simon and and tennis is doing the right thing and and, it, and I, I regard it as refreshing and, I, and i'm pleased that they're not just kowtowing frankly and letting business and money get in the way of what they believe is right and wrong they've been very clear about that i i did notice in a in an interview that uh, the bbc did with steve simon today they they kind of put that to him in the interview and said are you at all worried that taking such a hard line approach might not yield the results you want and and quieter more gentle negotiations and diplomatic efforts might be a better way and steve simon was not having it he he he's his view is that uh, that this is that he has no reservations about the way the way he's handled it so far and the way he will continue to handle it it's just a little bit difficult I and mean, it's impossible really but it's i i have a, a hard time working out where it goes next and at what point if you've if everybody's had their say and everybody's spoken up and and today several other big name players Andy Murray uh, lots of others and and organizations as well keep saying it you know what happens in a few days time if if everybody's had the say and we still don't know anything or we're still not confident about her, her whereabouts so the guy don't know um but i'm just hoping for the best really which is kind of a horrible position a horrible powerless position to be in but that's where we are yeah i think certainly peng shui's safety is of paramount importance and that is the primary issue at the moment which everyone is is getting behind but i share your concerns in terms of where does this go if you know if if so many people have already spoken out and there's been no answers what's going to happen in in a few days time a week's time that's that's why i think it's important that we continue to talk about it continue to put the pressure on um and i think the sort of larger question of tennis's relationship with china i mean 
it seems pretty untenable at this point, doesn't it? I mean, Steve Simon, mm. I think in that interview with the BBC, reiterated that, that if Peng Shui is, is, is not found to be safe and, you know, they will pull out of events in China next year. And, you know, I think even if she is found safe, quite frankly, how do you go back when this has happened to one of your players? And especially when we've seen the other option, the other possibility that exists, you know, with Guadalajara taking the place of Shenzhen this week, you know, having tennis in places which align with your core values seems like the approach that the WTA will probably take from here. Mm. Yeah, maybe a full rebuild of uh, of the second half of the calendar is is what's going to be required. So we'll see. We'll see and we'll update you as soon as we have more here on the tennis podcast. Now, the ATP finals are approaching the semi-finals stages and uh, we're going to see matches on Saturday between Novak Djokovic and Alexander Zverev uh, and Daniel Medvedev and Kaspar Ruud who has beaten Andre Rublev today in the one of the winner take all matches uh, to to earn his spot uh, in the semi-finals let's let's just go back a little bit first of all Matt to yesterday uh, the afternoon we saw a pretty uneventful match between Alexander Zverev and uh, Hubert Hurkacz which was very one-sided and frankly very predictable in the way it sort of went for love, I think, after about 15, 20 minutes. Her catch, I, I, he's the one press conference I didn't get to listen to, so I don't know whether he was carrying an injury or or suffering illness to any great extent. But, I mean, he he looked like a rabbit in headlights, to be quite honest. He looked lost out there, and it was it was an uncomfortable watch. Yeah, he's he struggled this week, hasn't he? I think, actually, his first set of the tournament was probably the best one he played in the whole thing when he when he took it off Medvedev played really well in 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 that set and then I think as you described on a podcast the other day suddenly sort of woke up and realized where he was and since then well he's not won a set has he lost the remaining two to Medvedev got beaten pretty handily by Sinner as an alternate and then wasn't competitive really against Zverev so you know that's not abnormal I think often there is a player like a Hercat who just gets into the event and maybe can't quite mix it at this level yet. Um, let's not forget, really, Hercat got in. If you sort of boil it down to one result, it's the kind of the Miami final, you know, that got him in ahead of Sinner. You know, he's he's sort of tended to either peak Hercat, hasn't he, or perhaps have a bit of an off week and maybe not be quite so consistent. And I think we've seen a real off week from him. His his level just hasn't hasn't been what he's capable of and what he would have hoped. Mm. Yeah. Um, Zverev looked efficient, certainly good enough. And uh, him against uh, Djokovic will be will be very interesting. We'll, we'll come on to that in a little while. Uh, last night, Sinner faced Medvedev. Now, we've talked about dead rubbers earlier on in this, uh, in this last week because I said when... Iga Sviantek played her final group match. I just, I just didn't bother. I just couldn't get interested. And and last night, <laughs> I, I think I it got to about four love in the first set with Medvedev winning. And you know, I think one of you or Catherine reminded me about how 
he played a dead rubber last year at the ATP Finals in London uh, against Diego Schwartzman, and you know you're all thinking, oh, this could this could be a bit of a damp squib, and Medvedev might might sort of struggle, and then suddenly he just absolutely thrashed Schwartzman, <laughs> and here he was winning the first set six love against Sinner. Now I went to bed at this point. Uh, I thought this this match is going to be non-event, and in fact, Kasparud, who's going to be his opponent said in his press conference today that he also went to bed at six love because he just oh, really? sort of thought nothing's <laughs> going to happen here. Yes. And uh, and then, so both Casper and I awoke to, <laughs> uh, in his case, the highlights. Uh, and in my case, 50 WhatsApp messages between you and Catherine all talking about uh, the, the events and the shenanigans uh, that were taking place between Dano Medvedev and Yannick Sinner. Matt? Tell us what happened. Well, I do think it was the greatest dead rubber of all time. I mean, genuinely, I cannot think of a better one, that, certainly that I've seen. Um, and I think Darren Cahill described it afterwards that Medvedev's developed this sort of champion's mentality. And I think we saw that in his approach to the first set, as you described. He just came out and wasn't concerned about this the sort of weird equation that he didn't need to win you know he just sort of ruthlessly dispatched Sinner and he was he was fantastic and then actually I think we saw that mentality as the match went on as well because obviously it got pushed to a third set he eventually won it in a deciding set tie break and there were little moments in the match where he started perhaps tanking a little bit or rushing or hitting two first serves things like that sort of signs that he wanted the match to be over but actually, he also really wanted to win that match. And he's, he's, he's made a real point of saying, I don't want to lose because it disrupts your rhythm. So he, he, he stayed engaged for the match and he, and he won it. And I think that was the sort of mentality that Darren Cahill was talking about. But, you know, Sinner played his part as well because he fought back into it, made it close. It's the closest he's ever come to having a top five win. He's still searching for that. It's something he's not quite done yet in his career. But just as he did against Hercatch, he really used the crowd a lot. He was fist pumping and getting the crowd very engaged. And that was good to see. And it was also that which sort of caused, I think, or provoked in Medvedev, one of the main sort of talking points from this match, which was a yawn that Medvedev gave um, after the second set, Sinner had won the second set in a tiebreak. He was pumping up the crowd. And there's this wonderful slow-mo image of Medvedev in the background, just just fake yawning. <laughs> and, I mean, I thought this was epic. I, I just loved this so much. I know Catherine did. It was just classic pantomime villain Medvedev. You know, the sort of master troll that he is. Um and I loved it. And it was a sort of insight into why Medvedev, quite frankly, is probably my favourite player to watch in, on the ATP Tour at the moment. He just, you know, nobody takes me by surprise more often or keeps me on the edge of my seat about what he might do next, sort of good or bad, or how he might play his tennis. And then you add in the way he sort of breaks down his matches with humour and honesty afterwards. I just, I just, I'm fully on board everything that sort of Medvedev does. But... You know, I know that it also caused a bit of a bit of a reaction. Some people didn't like it. Yeah, well, 
three people who didn't like it were the people Catherine was speaking to in the Prime Video Studio, and that's Tim Hemman, Daniela Hantikova, and I don't think Annabelle Croft was too keen either. I mean, look, you know, and it's it's everybody's in, entitled to a view on it, and not everybody is going to like that. I, I, you know, I'm thinking if my mum's watching it, she she'd probably say, "Oh, dear, he's rude, isn't he?" Or you know, something like that. But she'd also watch his next match. That's the other thing <laughs> yeah. that I think would 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 probably happen. Um, but I don't know what I mean. I think the view was he, he's better than that, um, and uh, other champions don't do that sort of thing. Was the kind of the kind of view that was being expressed? Thoughts? I mean, I really don't agree with the analysis that you know other champions don't do that. Therefore, you can't do it. Why? Just because. Federer or Nadal behave in a certain way and we've loved them for it doesn't mean that that's the only way to carry yourself on a tennis court and I much prefer individualism and seeing a person for who he is and that is Medvedev I don't think he's better than that I just think that is who he is that's what he does that's why he draws you in um you know, I think I think tennis itself has a bit of a drama problem, doesn't it? I mean, we've spoken about this before, the sort of why is Nick Kyrgios so polarising? I think Nick Kyrgios in another sport might not be quite so polarising, but he really stands out in tennis. And I've really, I don't really know why that's the case. I think maybe, maybe it does sort of all stem back to tennis's roots and it sort of coming out of prim and proper lawn tennis clubs and there's there's a certain etiquette that is expected um there's also this sort of focus on the individual i suppose so everything is seen and heard in a way that it might be lost a bit in in team sports but basically i just sort of get a bit tired of you know a bit of personality being shown and suddenly there being a sort of massive referendum on whether it's good or bad for the sport i mean maybe it was just a bit of fun the sort of spur of the moment thing and it was entertaining and it doesn't need to be you know really scrutinized you know there was also a moment in in the match where he conceded a point to sinner you know a, a really great act of sportsmanship and you know they weren't sort of bringing that up in in, in his defense they were just sort of laying into him for this one moment that was I I felt really entertaining. I mean, obviously everyone's you know free to have their opinion, and but I just think if you don't enjoy something like that, then what do you want from sport? Like I I want to be entertained, and I found that entertaining. Uh, I, and he's a disruptor. He, he is going to do it his way. And and the funny thing is that the the US Open when when this stuff was going on a couple of years ago initially not everybody was too pleased about it at the time but it's what everybody ends up remembering that US Open for and yeah. and and I think maybe the shock at the time uh, is is a little bit difficult for people to take but I think in hindsight people do get used to it a little and actually start looking back on it quite fondly um <laughs> whereas, <laughs> whereas certainly you, you and Catherine just lap it up immediately and I have to say so do I um but um yeah the the other thing you did was was this second serve ace when he was match point down uh or was not an ace it was a body serve wasn't it a million mm. miles an hour second serve which was just a first serve struck and and he said afterwards look I I probably wouldn't do that if there was more at stake and I'm thinking yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> you made your name doing exactly that in the summer of 2019 
against Novak Djokovic, I think it was. Or, or was it or yeah. was it against Djokovic or Nadal? I can't remember which one it was. But he was he was playing a great match, but he was out on his feet. He got tired. He's getting beaten. And suddenly he just started hitting two first serves every time he stepped up to the line. Yeah, it was Djokovic in Cincinnati, I think, wasn't it? Just before mm. the US Open. Um, yeah, and then asked to explain that decision. He started talking about probability, which which was quite <laughs> amusing. He said, "Well, you know, I you know, I probably wouldn't have done it if it was a if it was a live match, okay? But also, he said, I did feel like it gave me a decent chance of winning the point because Sinner's such a good returner. If I rolled in a second serve, chances are." He's probably going to attack that and I'm going to be having to play a defensive shot. So, you know, he it's one of the things about Medvedev. I, I do think he's smart and makes good decisions on a tennis court. And yes, it was risky, but it helped him win the point and ultimately win the match. So you have to say it was it was the right thing to do. Mm. I, I do like the way he he just stares you down and says, look, this is how I am. Mm. Uh, you de- You decide if you like it or not. It's up, up, up to the people to decide is basically what he says. And, then, you know, I'm all for that, to be quite honest. Um, so we, we now have Daniel Medvedev against Kasper Ruud uh, in the two o'clock afternoon match on Saturday. Now, Ruud beat Andre Rublev today. And, yeah, I was quite pleased about that because I've said that Ruud will win the whole <laughs> tournament as I try to sort of claw back a massive 300-odd point deficit against Catherine in the uh, prediction standings in our newsletter race. Because uh, Catherine's won three in a row. <laughs> mm. you've, you've you've brought it up again, David. Yes, yes, I have. That's how that's how kind and <laughs> magnanimous I am to Catherine after all these years. Um, but yeah, Rude when he when he was sort of five one down in the first set against Andre Rublev, who'd won four out of their previous four matches, I was starting to think, have I have I been looking at a player a different player here? <laughs> but um, but. But even if we, you know, ignore that prediction, he's sort of your guy, Rude, isn't he? You like Casper Rude, and yeah. So I'm going. I'm going to put two questions to you. I'm going to say, okay, why do you like Casper Rude so much, and do you think we've overlooked a little bit how great of an achievement it is that he has qualified for this event this year? You know, if if someone had said that to you this time last year, how surprised would you have been? Yeah, I, I would answer for the second question, definitely. I do think we have. Um, I don't think he's had enough spectacular results that have really taken our attention at the biggest events. He, he's. I was looking up, he lost two five-set matches at Roland Garros and against Davidovich Fakina, and then at Wimbledon he'd lost two epics. And the, the, the results he'd had that, that sort of stand out are those three successive titles that he won straight after Wimbledon. Now, because they were relatively small events, they, they don't get much play, airplay in, in, in the moment as such. But I do think he's just methodically gone about his business. I look at... I, I make no bones about it because I said early on in the year that he's going to do some damage on clay. I then look out for him because I, I'm hoping that that gets proved <laughs> right <laughs> so I can gloat. Um, but I I like the fact that he's showed shown that there's more to him than that. And I think I think the reason I like him is because he's like mini team, really. He's 
super fast around the court. He's got this big, heavy topspin forehand, and he's got a backhand slice, a proper one. And uh, and I just think there's an, an ambition to him that is probably in, in excess of his basic gifts. I think he's he's a proper maximizer, and and may end up elevating his own level because of his ambition and his determination. And and look in this match. I thought he was second best for most of the match. Really, I'm surprised he won. Even when I was watching it with you uh, remotely, and I, I kept cursing him and then <laughs> cheering him in sort of every other breath, as you know. Um, but I just like him. I like him. And and I think, by contrast, Rublev makes me stressed watching him. The, mm. I think he's anxiety-inducing. He He... He let himself down in this match. He was he won the first set six two. He was a break up in the second, and he fell apart. And he 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 lost his serve from forty fifteen up. And the way he reacted to it, it was as though his world had come apart. And yes. just just getting his serve broken once. And uh, and I don't know. I mean, I think it's like watching a junior. And and I think he seems like a really nice lad. But it's like he's going through an existential crisis every ten minutes uh, out on the court, and I don't know. I, I just think he he could end up going the other way. He he he's sort of week to week uh, an achiever and a maximizer. But overall, I think he might not reach what his ultimate ceiling actually is because of these mental capitulations in matches. And that and that felt like the difference to me today between them you know rude managed the match a lot better didn't he he as you said he got blown away really in that first set in a similar way to how he did against Norrie the other night and he did the same thing in terms of not panicking and pouncing when when he got his opportunity and just as you said Rublev got very frustrated very quickly very down on himself very quickly you know he got broken back but Things were fine. He he was he was still winning. He was still in charge of the match, and yet he he acted as you said, as though the sort of whole world was falling in on him. Um, and I think he gets compared to David Ferrer a lot, Rublev. And I guess on on the one hand, I see that comparison with his sort of relentlessness and his work ethic. But it, in terms of his mental fortitude on the court I mean it's it's a different league for, for David Ferrer was mm. always very good at that and you felt like he got the best out of himself within matches whereas I don't feel that with Rublev I, I do feel like these these struggles are, are sort of holding him back whereas whereas Rude I think just keeps bringing it doesn't he just keeps sort of week in week out and also within a match you know he he, he doesn't have the same quite the same ups and downs um, and yeah, I thought in the end he was he was a worthy winner because he played a much better tie break, didn't he? He sort of forced himself to come forward and knocked off some nice volleys and just was was really brave down the stretch when it mattered. And yeah, credit to him because I think we probably have overlooked the achievement of Rude to qualify here. You know, he's he's really had to improve his results on a hard court in order to get here. I think he had a negative win-loss record on hard going into this year and his ATP career and he's you know now in the semi-finals of the ATP finals on a, on a pretty quick hard court so credit yeah. to him for that 
Uh, he, he was asked a very interesting press conference. He went on for quite a while tonight. And I, I, I haven't heard Casper Rude talk that much, but I've noticed when he does, he really tries to answer a question and give you some mm. information that you may not know about him. And, and he was asked about some of the generous words some of his peers had said about him. Pretty much the prevailing view seems to be he's a really good sport. And he took great compliment in that he he was really chuffed to hear that um and he actually said you know to be honest I, I want to go my whole career without breaking a racket because the guy that the only guy in the top 10 that's ever done that is Rafael Nadal and and he's he's the one I want to emulate. And and he says, I really do try very hard. He says, of course, everybody gets stressed, everybody gets tight, but and that includes me, but I I just don't want to do that. And 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 it was quite interesting. He said, Because you know, players show who they really are when things are going wrong. And I thought, what an interesting line and and how right you are. You know, because and what he's saying is when things were going wrong and he was five one down, he did not want to become a different person. And mm. uh you're probably looking down the other end of the court and thinking, Well, there's one who kind of is showing another, you know, really negative side to his and I and I don't I don't I think Andre Rublev's a really nice lad from what I can see, but he He's his own worst enemy once he gets behind like that. And and he, his press conference, he you could tell he just couldn't he couldn't work out what had happened. Um, and there are many players when things are going wrong that the, this darkness comes over them. Mm. That's fascinating. I mean, he's obviously, Rude has, has trained quite a lot at the Rafa Nadal Academy, I think, hasn't he? He really, you know, I sort of know he looks up to Nadal. So it's it's interesting that he sort of is, is open about that and, and says that that is sort of an ambition of his. Um and I think this idea of of showing who you are when you're in difficult situations, I think I read that he's won his last 11 deciding sets. Yeah. He he made it clear that actually the, the five set losses he'd had, and one of them was from two sets up, I think, that basically the, those were the catalysts for those third set victories. Because it, it, clearly these five set matches, he said that those are the matches that hurt you the most. They're the ones mm. that stay with you. And he, he'd made a a real thing of of turning that around. Um, the other thing that, that I found very interesting, he's up against Medvedev tomorrow, the two o'clock match in the afternoon. They've played twice. He's pushed him a couple, couple of times close in sets, but he's lost both matches in straight sets, as, uh, as Medvedev, including the match in Mallorca on grass earlier this year, and they played at the ATP Cup as well. He said, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to watch videos and YouTube footage of Dominic Team against Daniel Medvedev because I know that Team has beaten him a few times and actually the record is 3-2 for Team and he says look I'm not, I'm not saying I am Dominic Team he's got kind of more power than I have more sort of destructive power but he plays with heavy topspin on his forehand like I do and he he's quick around the court so maybe I can learn a learn a few things and I, I I just thought what an interesting insight into match preparation yeah I didn't know players did that or were aware of that even you know 
Yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was the sort of thing that we, like people like us, just sort of would like them to do because it would be funny, you know, if they sort yeah. of, you know, we might think there's a similarity between team and rude and we would think, oh, it makes sense maybe to, to sort of watch team, you know. But Maybe he listens to us, Matt. Well. <laughs> right, Casper. <laughs> I, I remember asking... Um, uh, Danielle Collins at the Billie Jean King Cup, whether she'd watched Emma Raducanu against oh, yeah. Cyrus Reba's Torment. I mean, she basically laughed in my face as though, why would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> I've got my own tactics and my own approach. And I thought, well, yeah, fair enough. Do you think he's got any chance? Do you, do you, all right. I mean, you, you assume you think Medvedev wins. I do. And actually, I could see it being similar to their previous matches, actually. A close set and then a less close set for Medvedev. Right. Well, I've got Rude winning the whole thing, so there we are. <laughs> uh, Djokovic against Verev. Tell us about that matchup tomorrow, that rivalry in general. Well, it's quite interesting. I mean, as, as Verev is always keen to point out, he's played Djokovic at all the biggest events on a on a hard court this season you know he really talks about that a lot the Australian Open the Olympics the US Open and now here at the ATP finals um Zverev won the one at the Olympics of course best of three sets Djokovic won their best of five set matches at the Grand Slams certainly the US Open one was very close it was it was a five setter my feeling in that rivalry is that for Zverev to beat Djokovic something has to go a bit wrong for Djokovic. I mean, I think we saw that at the Olympics when his game just deserted him halfway through the match. We've seen it one other time, I think, at the ATP finals when in 2018, no doubt Zverev played a very, very good final that day and was sort of, you know, he he almost seemed like a bigger Djokovic at times, you know, with a bigger serve, a bigger backhand. And I suppose he did sort of overwhelm him a little bit and make Djokovic uncomfortable. But... It was also a very flat performance from Djokovic that day. And I just think if Djokovic is fully engaged in the match, as I expect him to be, I just think he wins. You know, he's, he's, I think he's, yes, OK, maybe he doesn't quite have the firepower that Zverev's got and Zverev can perhaps make him uncomfortable with that. But we've spoken about it. He's got little tools in his game that now that he can use to unsettle Zverev, drop shots, bringing him forward, angles coming into the net a little bit. I think we'll probably see some of that from Djokovic if he's able to get the time on the ball. I, I I'll definitely be watching I'll definitely be watching how many times he comes to the net, given how quick the conditions are in Turin and how many times Djokovic came to the net in Paris against mm. Medvedev. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And I think there's a there's perhaps been a feeling that Djokovic doesn't like quick courts, maybe, in his career and I, I Personally, I think that's probably come about from the Federer-Djokovic rivalry. I think whenever they've played on a quick court, those conditions have tended to suit Federer a bit more in that matchup. But actually, the way Greg Rosetsky put it the other day, in that a quick court really becomes a test of skill as much as anything, rather than a battle of attrition. And obviously, Djokovic can win those, but he can also win tests of skill. And mm. I sort of think that will come out on top tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll uh, we'll look forward to to seeing that. What's the head to head, by the way, Djokovic and Zverev? So it's seven three overall to Djokovic. Zverev's wins, obviously, the Olympics, uh, the twenty eighteen ATP Finals, as I talked about, and then 
There was one, I think, in the Rome final of 2017, which was Ferro's first uh, first Masters 1000 event win, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it'll be fascinating. Right then, we'll, we'll look ahead to that, uh, look forward to that rather, and uh, bring you up to date with what goes on in our show on Monday when we're hoping to have Catherine Whitaker back with us here on the Tennis Podcast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right, the doubles. Uh, Nikola Mektic and Matej Pavic beat uh, Filip Polasek and Ivan Dodig to qualify, so the top seeds through. They're now going to be up against Raji Ram and Joe Salisbury, who beat uh, Cabal and Farah to qualify in top spot with a three-love record. So unbeaten, Ram and Salisbury. I mean, that is a match to kind of set your alarm clock for, isn't it? Mektic and Pavic against Ram and Salisbury. Yeah, top two seeds here. I think they've met quite a few times this year. There's, there is some concern over Salisbury's back injury. You know, he had quite a lot of treatment on it today, but they still got through the match. And I don't think Mektic and Pavic have quite been at their best this tournament. So that could be excellent, yeah. Mm. And then the other one sees um, Marcel Granoyes and Horacio Zabias, who topped their group up against Nicola Mahou and Pierre-Hugabert in the semi-final. So all of that coming on Saturday in Turin. Anything else, Matt, before we wrap it up for another night? Because I've got to get myself off to bed for my son's football in the morning. I don't think so, David. I think we've we've covered it all. 
We've covered it all. Uh, have you started your packing yet? Catherine Whitaker style for the Davis Cup finals yet. You're on your way on Sunday. I have not started my packing, but I probably should. Uh-oh. There's suddenly a look on Matt's face as if as if to say, oh, crikey, I've not thought of that. Um, anyway, uh, talking of the Davis Cup finals, the there is a bit of news from Innsbruck because uh, oh, yes. the... The, the coronavirus has caused a lockdown in Austria. And as a result of that, the uh, the doors are going to be closed for that series of ties now. Uh, really, really sad that they're going to have to play uh, one of the three locations um, for the Davis Cup finals. There's Madrid, there is uh, Turin, and, and there is Innsbruck. And so Britain and Serbia and several other countries are going to be playing behind closed doors, which is a, which is a great shame. Um, and incidentally, if, um, if you would like to have tickets to the locations where you can go and view, so Madrid or in Turin, uh, we have a code here on the Tennis Podcast that can give you 15% off tickets via the daviscupfinals.com website. Just use the code TENNISPODCAST, all one word, all uppercase, and uh, you'll, when, you, when you go to check out uh, for any tickets that you've, uh, you've selected, and you can have 15% off. Uh, courtesy of us so hope uh, hope that comes in handy for a few of you um and yeah matt is going to be there in madrid and uh, we'll be doing lots and lots of podcasts in order to keep you fully all, all up to date um but for now uh we'll just say a big thank you to chris albert lee our executive producer and top bloke uh billy jean king who's sponsoring billy jean the dog scouser mousel rogue and zeus our respective canine sponsors uh and uh, lyra rogue canine oh yeah rogue's not a canine sorry sorry rogue <laughs> i get a bit mixed up from time to time um uh, lyra is not a canine either lyra is a cat and a very nice one too uh thank you for being our mascot for the week and we have a shout out for oliver pennington or oliver i knew a pennington at uh at college would you believe name of ben and uh, we were doing the the newspaper journalism course in 1997 uh, when I was uh, living on a farm in Cornwall. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a strange time. Your stories from the farm in Cornwall are some of my favourite stories. Yes, there was the, the housemate who had a, a selection of samurai swords... <laughs> On his wall. Um, That's the when one. He, when, he, when he brought them into the house, I was a little bit concerned. <laughs> um, but anyway, Oliver, uh, th- th- thankfully, not your problem. And I can only say a massive thank you to you for uh, for being uh, one of our shout-out supporters here on the Tennis Podcast. And uh, yeah, chances for you all to be able to uh, give have us give you a shout-out in 2022 will be open soon. We'll bring you a, a little update on all that next week. Uh, but for now, Matt and I are going to depart. I'm going to go and uh, tidy the kitchen. Matt's going to suddenly start packing at a great rate. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll speak to you uh, in a few days' time. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 